As audience members continue joining, we'll go ahead and begin. Welcome to today's event, the latest in Transportation Insights Digital Master Series. Today we're talking about transportation trends we're seeing in the second quarter, and we'll share some advice for how you can respond and prepare for the back half of the year. I'm Michael Willard in the Marketing Division at Transportation Insight. We've invited our transportation and supply chain experts to join us today. Before we turn it over to the panel, I want to invite our audience to participate as well. Please submit your questions for our panelists. You can do that by using the questions panel in your GoToWebinar viewer. Of course, we'll monitor those questions throughout the presentation, answer as many as possible. Anything we don't address today, we'll follow up with an email direct from our team. Also, after the conclusion of our event, look for a four-question survey. We want to know how we can continue to bring value to you during these live events with our experts. With that, we'll welcome today's moderator, Erin Christou. Erin is Transportation Insights Senior Director of Client Services. She has 15 years of experience in the transportation management space, both on the client services and logistic management side. Welcome to the conversation today, Erin. Let's begin with an introduction of our panel of experts. Thanks, Michael. With us today, we have Todd Benj, Transportation Insights Senior Vice President of Parcel Operations. He has more than three decades of experience in the small package space. Jacob Hawkins, our Senior Manager of LTL Pricing Services. Jacob is an expert in the LTL space with nearly two decades of experience working with North America's transportation service providers. We also have James Matthews, Transportation Insights Director of Truckload Procurement. And James has spent the past 20 years helping shippers achieve and maintain strong relationships with their carrier partners. Jared Wilson is our Vice President of Client Services. He's an expert in international transportation, warehousing, and supply chain strategy. And rounding out our panel today is Director and General Manager of Indirect Sourcing, Gene Smith, who has nearly four decades of experience helping customers across multiple industries in their efforts to optimize their packaging programs, as well as other aspects of indirect sourcing. But before we dive into our conversation with our panelists today, let's take a look at some of the macroeconomic trends that are driving what we're seeing across the transportation industry. In the e-commerce space, total estimated sales for 2020 reached 791 billion, an increase of over 32% from 2019. Last year, e-commerce accounted for 14% of all US retail sales, which increased 3.4% in 2019. In the fourth quarter, we saw a 23% quarter over quarter jump to 245 billion. Year over year, the fourth quarter 2020 e-commerce estimate increased 32% compared to the same period in 2019. Early estimates from the Department of Commerce for the first quarter this year reflect another year over jump with e-commerce expected to make up 15% of all retail sales in the US. Shifting to fuel, U.S. diesel fuel prices have climbed 32% from a low in November of 2020. This sharp increase is directly affecting transportation costs today. Parcel carriers are escalating fuel surcharges, and fuel costs will be an increasing factor for over-the-road freight. The Energy Information Administration, or EIA, forecasts that summer diesel prices will be higher than last year, 
So we really do need to keep an eye on those fuel prices. As the economy continues to improve, producer prices have increased, but not nearly at the level of the major domestic transportation modes. Why is this so important? Well, since April of 2020, cost increased nearly 14% year over year for truckload. LTL increased nearly 8% and parcel climbed nearly 6% since last year. With transportation rates increasing at a faster rate than overall prices of manufactured goods, many shippers are likely seeing shrinking profit margins from the cost of transportation alone, not to mention any number of other economic factors. With these conditions in mind, let's dive a little bit deeper. We're gonna begin our conversation in the small package environment with Todd Benj. Thank you very much, Aaron. So what we're seeing today is what we felt through Christmas peak season, and that is capacity crunch. So we're still seeing that through the first quarter. And those, those challenges are gonna continue on as we go through the opening of the United States and really the opening of the globe. We really see that the carriers, particularly UPS and FedEx, and it even impacts the regional carriers as well, that there is a capacity crunch. And we're being much more selective in regarding uh, changes to current contracts and uh, uh, basically additional surcharges and fees that they're tacking on, on top of the shipments outside of the normal six weeks of peak season. Now, basically, it's a COVID surcharge that we're seeing, both from China mainland, Hong Kong, into North America, into Europe. We're seeing those on all carriers. And if you remember, even in Christmas, the post office, for the first time, instituted a peak season surcharge. These surcharges we see sustaining basically through uh, the summer, going in through July, until the country really opens up and somewhat of a new norm of capacity enters back into the small package uh, networks. These, uh, to give you an idea, these challenges are, are definitely uh, on both sides of the fence, not only on the customer, but on the carrier as well. This, and this is, uh, goes right into why they suspended their guaranteed surcharges. Now, they just announced in the month of April, bringing back both FedEx and UPS, bringing back the guarantee on their express or, or priority and overnight shipments um, to instill the guarantee that really uh, separates those services from the core, or what we would call ground or deferred. And those shipments are where we expect and see um, focus on maintaining their time in transit and maintaining their service levels. And what we'd see then is the ground and residential type shipments are going to continue through and be processed what the capacity can handle within their own networks. So we see a lot of that uh, taking place and continuing on. And one of the things that leads to the capacity challenges really is the, the types of, of, of merchandise being shipped to the small package. If everyone remembers, this year for UPS and FedEx, it's $920 for a surcharge for an unauthorized over max type shipment, which is anything over 180 inches in length or 165 inches in length and girth or over 150 pounds single weight of, of the package. That's just saying they don't want it in their network and it's, it's a real high penalty, but it just shows what has transpired under COVID that we are pushing so much more 
through a small package network because so much of the United States is shut down that you can't go to the store and pick it up. So you order it and it gets shipped to you by UPS or FedEx and boom, there's a huge charge on top of that. So these are things that have changed drastically in a very short period of time. The other thing we want to talk about is where are we going in for um, basically if we're taking a look at laying out a plan for the coming peak season. It was an extremely challenging peak season this past in 2020. This 2021 is going to be another challenging experience. And what it is all going to be around is guaranteeing or building your supply chain for small package with capacity. Meaning that um, many of the customers who have utilized a one carrier network, it's really going to be um, important to look at utilizing multiple small package carriers, almost the same way that many of our customers engage LTL. They look at several regional LTL and they look at national LTL and then supports their network in LTL well in small package. To gain that kind of capacity, that's what we see going forward, is having that kind of a plan in place and introducing postal consolidators when it fits, looking at the regional carrier play when it fits. And it's just making the market of small package more complex. And I'm going to go ahead and turn it back to you. Great. Thanks, Todd. So how would you advise our audience going forward? For example, what can they be doing right now? So this is an ideal time because you've got some runway is to take a look at starting to do the analytics around how do I take my transportation pie and slice it up in a different way in which I have it and doing some what ifs to be able to say if I were to change my supply chain and add a regional carrier on the West Coast, add one in the Southwest, add one in the Southeast, and one in the Northeast, how does that look? And what is it going to change my network? And then lastly, really is, am I set up to be able to manifest multiple carriers in my technology? And so those are, I think this is the time to be doing that homework now. Thanks for that insight, Todd. Let's move now to Jacob Hawkins with an update on LTL. Hey, thanks, Aaron. Yeah, so just like uh, Todd spoke about capacity, uh, that's what we're going to start with on the LTL side. Uh, LTL carriers are uh, experiencing a historic demand on capacity. Um, I'm not. I'm trying. I'm trying not to paint this with too broad a brush, but almost all carriers have some problem areas in their networks um, today. Um, I think we all experienced probably the worst issues right after the winter weather. Um, areas like Memphis and Dallas-Fort Worth were especially hard hit um, due to that winter weather. Um, so we're seeing those issues improve right now. But a lot of carriers have the concern of what's going to happen when the summer volumes start increasing. So due to that, some carriers are limiting the volume uh, of new business they're bringing onto their networks. Um, all this leads to service issues. Um, so we're seeing service issues in both pickup, delivery, and line haul. And the line haul one is a particularly troublesome cause um, Mr. Matthews will speak to um, what's going on in the truckload market, but 
capacity so that carrier, LTL carriers are having to look uh, much harder at purchase transportation for their line haul. But because those prices have increased, they're reluctant to do that, which is what you're seeing drive some of these delays. So one of the ways carriers are trying to get this under control is you're going to continue to see embargoes enacted. Um, you know, we saw a lot of that uh, over the past six months, but it's, it's going to continue. Um, even, even just this week, SIA issued one for their Minneapolis terminal. Uh, they just had too much freight and they have to get caught up on it. And uh, so they just cut it off. And uh, you know, once they get caught up, they'll start using it again. So this capacity is causing carriers to scrutinize their business um, more heavily than they have before. And so when I say scrutinize, we're just not talking about the profitability. Uh, we're talking about everything from, you know, payables to claims. Um, are you a shipper of choice? How well do you work with your local terminal? All those things are under the microscope right now because carriers are trying to basically determine which customers we want to do business with right now because capacity is such a concern. And then finally, renewals, price increases. Um, depending how your contract is set up, you may be subject to a general rate increase or there may be some contractual cycle. You know, some, some contracts are set up where it doesn't have to be reviewed each year. Well, if your contract is set up that way, more than likely this is the year the carrier is going to say, yeah, we've got to sit down and talk about it. And so when those conversations are happening, we're seeing that, especially customers with what we describe as less desirable freight, um, those are the ones, those are much more serious conversations right now um, because that's the freight the carriers are having trouble moving in their networks due to these capacity concerns. So it sounds like the LTL market is shaping up to swing in the carrier's favor relative to pricing. How can our audience manage their way to cost avoidance and savings looking ahead? I mean, really the best advice I can give, Aaron, because it's it's going to be difficult to drive any kind of savings through procurement in this environment is to, you know, partner with a company like ourselves to help do some deep data analysis and identify some areas where uh, savings can be driven. Thank you, Jacob. Let's go ahead and turn to James Matthews, our truckload procurement panel expert. James, what are you seeing in the full truckload world that will have an impact on shippers in Q2? Hey, thanks, Aaron, and thanks to everybody that's joining. Uh, kind of going into 2021, we came in at a pretty high peak from a rate standpoint. Um, and I think you're going to see kind of uh, that high steady pricing staying where it is, not really a, a whole lot of dips, um, but you're going to increase some of that pricing as we go into a tighter capacity season, which is seasonal around uh, the produce all the way up until like the July 4th uh, holiday. So you can anticipate rates still being elevated. Uh, and that really kind of leads into, we've had a drop in demand from both a reefer and a van standpoint. Uh, but it's had very little effect on the rates. Now, we have not seen a drop in demand on a flatbed standpoint. In fact, the, the demand is increased to just under 2018 levels, and nobody likes to talk about 2018 anymore, but uh, it, it's still 
uh, it's still at an elevated capacity and rate standpoint in, uh, in that uh, flatbed mode. The reason for that, that there hasn't, even though there's been a drop in demand in those two uh, equipment types and that it hasn't had a lot of effect on the rates for a few factors, you've got carriers that are experiencing the capital expense of purchasing new equipment, um, which I'll get to in a, in a minute, but also insurance premiums that have increased and also the retention of a driver and recu recruiting of drivers. We've seen some, uh, some driver wage increases announced here lately that are that are pretty dramatic. So all of those are creating that upward rate pressure from a carrier just to remain profitable. So even with this drop in demand, the expense that they have out there, the costs that they actually have are keeping those upward uh, rate pressure in place. We kind of, we touched on this, Aaron, you brought this up about the increase that we've seen in fuel. We really haven't had fuel as being part of the conversation over the last couple of years, uh, but it has been a 32% increase since November. Uh, the average for 2021 has been announced at being about 294 a mile. To take that into perspective, in 2020, the average was 255 a mile. So if you're in a contract uh, pricing world, you generally see that broken out in an accessorial and you can report off of it. But when you're in the spot world, all of that is kind of lumped in into one charge and it's kind of hard to see where that breakdown is. What impact is fuel having on my spot rates? But it is lumped in there, and that's why you see the spot rates at such a higher uh, premium to where they were in 2020. With that, we've tried to look at a lot of things very strategically for our clients, and that's, uh, you know, what can I convert from that spot market that is so non-predictable? What can I move into a short-term contract? to kind of capture some either rate savings or rate consistency, but also locking in capacity for this time where we're going into a, uh, a tighter capacity market. Uh, I, think, uh, uh, I think a lot of the, uh, historically in this time, you don't necessarily wanna contract for short-term rates, because it generally comes in at a premium. When you're contracting for a short term, it's at a premium, but this is actually coming in under where the spot market is and it is locking in that consistent capacity and it's been a benefit to our clients right now. So in light of these market conditions, what can truckload shippers do to maintain their service levels? I, I, I truly believe in maintaining consistency with your carrier base. I'm a big guy about talking about long-term carrier partnerships and relationships and not just letting that be a lip service where, you know, when it's in your favor, uh, partnerships go both ways. So really uh, highlight where you can work with your carriers to lock in those, uh, those pricing right now. And then when things do alleviate, have strategic conversations with your carriers to get more market competitive with your rates while while maintaining kind of that capacity commitment with them. Thank you, James. So Thank you. we've we <laughs> thanks. So we've covered the major domestic transportation modes. Now let's turn to the realm of international logistics. For perspective, let's shift to Jared Wilson for his insights on international conditions and how they impact our domestic networks. Thanks, Aaron. It continues to be a really unique environment in the international space as well. And I'll start with the latest disruption 
which has been big in the news in the last few weeks, and that's with the Suez Canal blockage. So uh, the Ever Given vessel uh, caused a complete blockage of the Suez Canal for over a week, impacting hundreds of vessels and billions of dollars in cargo, uh, really creating a lot of impact in the international space. So in terms of impact, not only the delay in cargo uh, based on stalled vessels or reroutings, but it's continuing to impact capacity in the market, equipment shortages, and overall uh, shipping schedules. And this is going to take some time to unwind. Uh, in terms of how much time, it will be weeks uh, with projections really being in the summer months. One carrier has stated recently they expect that to be towards the end of the June timeframe. Uh, another main carrier has come out just this week and stated that they expect it to go into the third quarter. So there are some near-term impacts that will take a few weeks to unwind. But there are also some knock-on effects uh, that will continue to play out in the market. And one will be on the topic of, of port congestion in the U.S. So port congestion on the U.S. West Coast, now also into the East Coast, has been an ongoing issue, a couple of drivers for this. And really the primary driver has been the surge of imports into the U.S., primarily imports coming out of Asia. Uh, and that has really been impacting the West Coast with LA Long Beach really being um, the focal point within that. Uh, U.S. imports out of Asia since August of 2020 have been up double digits uh, each month. Um, a lot of that is, is just driven by the surge in, in retail goods. The Port of LA Long Beach uh, from February into March saw increased volumes of over 50% 50, 50 versus the prior year. The East Coast is also seeing impact with congestion. And if we think about the impact from the Suez Canal disruption, it's the East Coast ports who are seeing and will see a bit more of that impact just based on those vessel routings. Um, in terms of midterm solutions, it was interesting to see the Port of Savannah uh, commit to increasing capacity uh, later on in the year. That will take some time. Um, but in the immediate term, the impact on supply chain is we're going to continue to see some delays in transit uh, from the port congestion. And then also continued inland capacity crunch, uh, where we'll see the downstream impact uh, in the U.S. domestic market. In terms of how long it will take for the congestion to, to continue to ease, uh, the general consensus is the July timeframe. But of course, then that puts us up against uh, the traditional peak season. So there is some increased risk for continued volatility there. So I'll also touch on what we're seeing in the international market from a, a rate standpoint, uh, briefly touching on ocean first. So ocean rate levels continue to be at historic highs, really driven by the overall demand and capacity environment, but also impacted by the amount of disruption that we've seen, uh, not only recently with the Suez Canal, but over the last 12 months as well. Uh, for the foreseeable future, expect to see ocean rates continue to be at historically high levels uh, with depending on the demand patterns in the coming months and capacity uh, with the possibility of further increases through peak season surcharges as we get into the third quarter. The air freight market is similar with continued high rates. So that the air spot, 
air spot market uh, continues to be at higher levels than we were seeing pre-COVID. It's being driven by a few different things. Uh, certainly increased demand from a commodity standpoint. Uh, things like high tech have been driving a lot of that. We've talked about the surge in e-commerce that has also been driving, driving higher air freight demand. And from a capacity standpoint, there continues to be less air freight capacity in the market. So overall capacity is still about 15% below normal levels. Part of that is being driven by uh, still the continued reduction in passenger flights. In addition to that, uh, the, the overall charter market continues to be very constrained as well with very high rates, uh, very limited capacity. And that's even more relevant uh, when the market sees disruptions uh, like we've seen in the last few weeks with the Suez Canal. So expect those to continue. I think a key thing to watch will be um, some increased capacity coming into the market as passenger flights continue to normalize in the coming months. But the high high rate environment is expected to continue. So Jared, with all these disruptions and shifts in the global supply chain, how can a global shipper best manage through these conditions to keep their domestic supply chains from being disrupted by global circumstances? Well, I think a couple of things right now. So I think, um, similar to what a couple of the others have said. I think the importance of having strong partnerships with your service providers are more important now than ever. I think contingency planning, particularly as, as we approach peak season, is, is more important than ever as well. So from an international standpoint, um, right now is the right time to be planning for how you approach your peak season, um, do you have enough flexibility in your supply chain? Are you prepared for modal shifts depending on the supply and demand environment? Uh, and that, of course, then feeds into to the U.S. domestic market. I think uh, in terms of, of a broader big picture view, uh, a, a big discussion right now is overall inventory strategy. So in many industries, we're seeing uh, overall inventories at, at historic lows, um, inventory to sales ratios at, at, at three decade lows. So supply chains overall are very strained at the moment. And it, it, it really prompts this discussion of, you know, what is that right balance of sort of the traditional just-in-time model, which has led to a lot of very lean supply chains, with having the right level of inventory, number one, to meet the end customer demand uh, in an unpredictable environment like we're seeing, but then also where you have enough inventory to really um, be more insulated from some of these supply chain and market disruptions like we've seen recently with the Suez Canal. So from a big picture standpoint, the approach to overall inventory strategy is a really important topic. Thank you, Jared. Well, to round out our discussion, I'd like to bring in Gene Smith, our resident packaging expert, to share with us how the accelerated growth of e-commerce in the past 12 months has impacted the supply chain in terms of how companies package and deliver products to their customers. Gene, what are you seeing in the market? Uh, thanks, Aaron. Uh, unfortunately, what we're seeing in the market is a unprecedented run-up of, of, of pricing. Uh, 
you know, folks that you talk to in this industry, including uh, myself, who's been doing this for uh, just over 35 years. Uh, quite honestly, we've never seen anything like uh, the runoff we've seen. Uh, if you think about the indirect sourcing space, packaging uh, cost drives a significant amount of that spend uh, for the majority of the clients that we work with. Uh, and again, unfortunately, those markets have been uh, on an upward trend and, and have been for some time uh, now. If, if you go back to June of last year, uh, we started a run-up on polyethylene-based uh, products, what we call flexible packaging products. Uh, we, we've seen month-over-month uh, -month increases, uh, a total of eight increases since June of 2020. Uh, you know, a nickel here, six cents there, four cents. Uh, but if you look at it cumulative, uh, we've got a, a total of 43 cents a pound increase in the base resins uh, that it takes to produce these products. Uh, and 43 cents may not sound like a lot uh, on a per pound basis, but if you look at that compared to where the baseline was back in uh, May of 2020, uh, that's about a 70% increase in, in base resin costs. Uh, base resin costs will translate uh, to about a 25 to 35 percent increase in the actual products that we use every day, your stretch films, strength films, uh, polyethylene bags, sheeting. Uh, a lot of our clients are using the poly mailers. So uh, again, a 70 percent increase in base resin would translate to about a 25 to 35 percent increase in, in those finished products. Uh, you know, I guess the corrugated folks felt like they were being left behind to a degree. Uh, so in November of last year, uh, we saw an increase on liner board uh, of $50 a ton. Uh, we saw that followed in March by a $20 per ton increase. And then again, just this past Friday, uh, the publication came out with a new increase of $40 a ton. Uh, so those guys are, are, are building some momentum, obviously, uh, to get on board with these price increases. That's a cumulative effect of $110 a ton, uh, which in most cases, liner board constitutes about 70 to 80% of the cost of a finished product of a box uh, that so many of our clients use. Uh, so if you look at that cumulative effect, our clients are looking at anywhere from a 17 to 24 percent increase in, in those finished boxes. So, again, significant moves uh, that's impacting our clients and impacting uh, really everyone's bottom line. Uh, you know, most of that increase is due to just strictly demand. Uh, as everyone's spoken to, you know, there are some capacity uh, issues, some weather-related events that took place a couple of months ago uh, that put a strain on supply. Uh, but by and large, it, it's just a demand issue. Uh, I saw a blurb earlier this week where e-commerce shipments were up 70% uh, above what they were just a, a few short months ago. So we're seeing, a, again, a run-up of, of shipments. Obviously, increased shipments means more product being used. Uh, these folks are also, manufacturers are also being impacted by increased costs in transportation. Uh, energy costs are up. 
Uh, I saw where uh, natural gas is up 45 to 50 percent. Uh, so those costs are up as well as labor uh, costs. In addition to the you know, upward trends that we're seeing on pricing, uh, we're also seeing lead times uh, get, get pushed out. Uh, so makes planning uh, and, and trying to kind of stay ahead of the curve that much more challenging. Uh, typically in the corrugated world, you're looking at a lead time or a turnaround time of, you know, five to 10 working days to, to get product turned around. Uh, in today's environment, that's pushed out to two to four weeks. Uh, in the polyethylene world, the flexible packaging world, you're typically uh, looking at a three to four week lead time. Uh, those are now pushed out to anywhere from eight to 12 weeks. Uh, so uh, again, uh, just uh, adds to the complexity uh, for our clients to uh, deal with uh, these markets. Uh, one of the uh, 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 data points I wanted to share today uh, really goes to the Institute of Supply Management, the report on business that they put out on a monthly basis. Uh, for March, we saw a PMI, which is the Purchasing Managers Index. Uh, we saw a reading there that was 30 was a 37-year high, uh, 64 plus uh, percent. We haven't seen a number like that in that index. Uh, since December of 1983. Uh, so again, just, just adds to uh, the data to support the increased demand. New orders were up, uh, production was up, employment's improving. Uh, so again, all those criteria leading to some of those pressures that we're seeing on demand. And I, and I would encourage all of our uh, listeners today to, to really pay attention to that ISM report on business. That's one of the early indicators that comes out every month uh, that gives us a really good uh, picture of what's going on in our economy. Uh, if, if you think about, again, some of what we've talked about, the, the increase in, in, in some of these commodity packaging products, we're seeing those uh, really push down through the supply chain into uh, some of the consumer products, the products that we use every day uh, with recent announcements by uh, companies like Procter & Gamble, Kimberly-Clark uh, announcing increases on, again, those uh, uh, consumer-type products that we use every day. So, Gene, with all of these increases, packaging costs could be eating into profit margins. What can our audience do in the months ahead to stay profitable? Yeah, no, no question. They're 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 pressing in uh, for sure, especially when you look at the uh, number of increases and in the percentages that we've talked about here. Uh, the biggest thing I, I would advise folks to do, Aaron, is, is really just to stay on top of these markets, stay informed. Uh, you know, we we we're pushing out information to our clients. Uh, monthly as to what's going on in these markets, uh, trying to get our clients to stay ahead of the curve uh, to a degree, you know, place orders where it makes sense and where you have capacity uh, to bring in product ahead of these increases. Uh, you know, one example that I'll, I'll share, we had a client uh, that, that does a lot of online 
uh, uh, business and, and really to, to get ahead of their upcoming back to school uh, rush. They went ahead and ordered product ahead uh, of these increases to get it on the floor and avoid these, you know, 17 to 24 percent increases that we've talked about uh, on their boxes. So, again, keep an eye on the market, stay informed, plan ahead. You know, kind of the flip side of that, we've talked about the run up on the polyethylene products. Uh, we're actually advising our clients now to just kind of, you know, stand pat, uh, kind of hold off from placing any large orders. Uh, really, right now in that world, you want to have enough to kind of get you through uh, the summer months, maybe late summer, because we see some uh, softening coming into those markets uh, in the third quarter. Uh, so it behooves our clients to, again, you know, have enough product to get through this critical time but in terms of any type of long term or, or, or large orders uh, we're, we're suggesting that folks uh, kind of hold off and wait and see what those uh, reductions will be come third quarter. Thank you Gene. You touched on a topic that has come out come up throughout our presentation today e-commerce. You know we we all know it was an area that was already booming COVID accelerated consumer consumer behaviors towards online shopping. As the company or the country ebbs and flows in pandemic, we're seeing e-commerce sales continue to spike. After a huge spike a year ago, we saw another increase last quarter. As we've discussed, this has had a major impact across all transportation modes. And I wanted to talk a little bit more about how this change is not just impacting e-commerce and retail shippers, but really any business trying to move freight or small packages. It's especially apparent in the parcel space where volume swung sharply towards residential delivery and away from commercial delivery. Todd, how has that shift had a larger service impact across all small package shippers? I think you might be on mute. Thank you there. Thank you very much. So it, it's a very good question. I think you have to look back in history in regards to the uh, small package world and especially with the carriers that were just to go back 15 years and you take a look at how these uh, uh, routes and really the network and hole for, for small package was really commercial based and 25% was probably a good number to use that was residential and 75% was commercial. And you could see that the driver would spend most of their time in their day delivering commercial in the morning and then head out in the afternoon to do residential and then turn around and make pickups and then head back to the centers, their terminals. So what you're seeing in today's world is it's been increasing in the residential world rapidly. And if you go back to 2019, the network started to approach the 50-50 mix range. So now, if you think about that, in a very short period of time, it's up to 70% residential. So if you think about it, it's, it's, it's a, the package is moving to the uh, you know, uh, hub operations hasn't changed. It's just there's a lot more of them on a consistent basis. They're running at peak seasons right now still. But if you take a look at how the delivery route is run, think of it in this terms. You, you know, gone by, you had 115 stops on a call and you're delivering 300 packages. Now you have 150, 160 stops delivering 300 packages. 
So what that means is, is that you have less density going to a stop. You're delivering more stops, but what has changed is the density within a neighborhood. Instead of having one or two boxes on that street, maybe there's five. So the stops per mile have improved, but the bottom line is, is it's still more expensive to deliver residential than a traditional uh, commercial stop. And what that does is it requires then more staffing to deliver all of that uh, same number of packages, relatively speaking, to deliver in a uh, commercial or e-commerce environment. And like I spoke earlier, they're shipping everything. So, I mean, if you get a chance to look in the back of a fax uh, home delivery or a, a UPS package car, you can take a look and look at the size of the boxes that are move, moving in these networks. And it's because through COVID, everybody is buying to have delivered at home. And I mean, even grandparents have been trained to now buy online. And so moving forward, I think that uh, this isn't the new normal, but the old normal is quite far gone. And we're heading into a derivative of this normal. And e-commerce is going to be a uh, here to stay. Uh, and, and everyone's gotten used to it. And, in, in, you know, I think that that is where we are going for, uh, going into the future. And that's why uh, when we talk about peak season and having um, multiple carriers to help alleviate and bring capacity to your supply chain, especially when you're in e-commerce business. Great insight. Jacob, how about in your world? Yeah, I mean, e-commerce is definitely one of the contributing factors to the you know record volumes LTL carriers are are handling. I mean, LTL carriers are the ones who are you know delivering a good portion of that freight to these distribution centers. Um, so you know, the first thing on probably a lot of listeners on the calls of mine is, you know, hey, that's me. And what about my scorecard? What can I do to keep my scorecard in line? What can I do to reduce chargebacks? Um, a couple things. I mean, one is just really communicate, you know, communicate with your customers, communicate with the DCs, your purchasing agents, you know, talk about, you know, what they're experiencing, you know, what kind of buffer you need to possibly build in, you know, ship a day or two ahead where you can. Um, the other thing is um, many LTL carriers offer additional levels of service to um, help make sure you're hitting those MABD windows. So if that's not something you've had to utilize in the past, in these current market conditions, it's something to definitely consider because um, a lot of those services basically work where, you know, once that freight hits the destination terminal, they only have so much trailer space to get it to the DC on that next run. So that MABD service acts as a ticket where you skip to the head of the line, you make sure you make that trailer out. So um, things like that can really make a difference and help keep that scorecard under control. Thanks, Jacob. Gene, anything you want to add? Thanks, Aaron. Yeah, you know, the, the increased demand that we've seen in these packaging products uh, has definitely been impacted significantly by the uh, e-commerce uh, tick. I think I shared earlier a 70% increase uh, just in terms of shipments uh, with e-commerce. So obviously with each shipment, uh, more packaging products being used, that's putting a strain uh, certainly downstream on the uh, capacity uh, at some of these uh, uh, plants. 
but but our e-commerce clients that we work with, we really had a lot of success uh, coming alongside those guys and really uh, allowing them to evaluate the products that they're using uh, to uh, to ship. Uh, in some cases, we've shifted from a box to a poly mailer uh, to really cut down on those costs, both from a, uh, a packaging product standpoint and from a shipping uh, standpoint. So we've had a lot of success uh, working with those folks in, in that environment. Uh, so uh, no, no question, e-commerce has uh, had a tremendous impact over the last 18 months and, and looks to only, uh, you know, continue to be heading upward. So. Jared, what about the international side? Yeah, I think you look at the international side, the increase in demand as it relates to e-commerce, it, it really changes lead times to start with, right? And so what we're seeing is a lot of, of importers into the U.S. Um, having to rely on a different mix of modes in terms of how cargo is moving. And, um, you know, I mentioned earlier the increase in, in air freight demand, you know, that's definitely part of it. But even on the ocean side, an increase in demand for many importers or more usage of less, uh, less than full container cargo, uh, LCL cargo, um, just, just given the need of, of, of smaller shipments, but also more frequent shipments. So for importers out there, um, it's been a big shift in terms of, of the share in which their overall volumes are moving and, uh, and and expect that to continue for the near term. Well, and I think we can all agree that the uptick in e-commerce isn't disappearing anytime soon. And it's great insight to help our audience continue adjusting their transportation strategy. So folks, our panel has brought other actionable advice for you all today. We have the key takeaways here on the screen, including the need to begin contingency planning now Stay informed and ahead of the game. Lean on analytics for cost avoidance and savings targets. And consistency definitely matters in the carrier space right now. So we have some time for a few questions from our audience before we close for the day. Michael, what other advice is our audience looking for? Thanks, Aaron. We definitely do have a few questions coming in. I want to remind everybody, submit your questions now in the questions panel. We'll get to as many of those as possible as time allows. If we don't get back to you, look for a direct contact from members of our team. So I'm going to combine a couple of the early questions here into one and may do that throughout. But first, uh, I guess kind of when do you think that we'll see rate relief by mode? And I think kind of the question for the team is, do we expect the pricing increases to let up for truckload and LTL? And is it possible that we ever get back to pre-COVID rates and, and those modes are in, in parcel as well? Um, I'll, I can start off on the, uh, on the truckload side, uh, as far as, um, rate relief and when we can potentially see it, I think you heard from all of the other modes, uh, of the disruption and some of the service issues, a lot of that pushes more freight to over the road as well. So, uh, that is now increasing some capacity demand. Uh, on this side. And then we've got customers that we're always advising to look at modal conversion, but it may not make sense to convert to intermodal right now when they're so disrupted. So, and then we're looking at other clients that may be receiving um, excessive length charges. What can we consolidate to make multi-stop truckloads? So a lot of the pressure for uh, 
capacity or competition for capacity in the truckload side is going to maintain until some of those other networks kind of uh, kind of work themselves out to a level of equilibrium. But I do think, and I'm not, I won't be all doom and gloom. I think that there's also uh, some factors that are going to coincide to our benefit. Jacob has said that uh, things should uh, start, you know, kind of mellowing out around that July timeframe. Jared has said the same thing. Uh, with with that, truckload should also see a drop in demand. At the same time, we should hopefully see some of these new equipment sales kind of hitting the road. And we have seen month over month increase in uh, in Class Eight truck sales. Uh, now, I will I will advise that uh, we are the American Trucking Association reported about 73%, I think, of those new orders have been delayed, some up to about 60 days. But I still believe that with the reduction in demand kind of happening after that July 5th into July timeframe will coincide with some of that uh, that equipment hitting the, the road. And I think that you'll see a, a bit of a dip, a nice place to start uh, looking at some areas for negotiation. Granted, we've got uh, kind of the holiday season coming in there, so you may want to be a little bit more selective in in that uh, approach of what we contract. Maybe it's a shorter term contract and really set yourself up for maybe that flywheel effect going into 2022 for maybe a larger network bid. I think you'll see uh, spot rates definitely dip after that uh, July timeframe. And then we'll really have to work uh, alongside our clients and potential clients to uh, to paint that strategy going into 2022 to capture a lot of those gains. Hey, Michael, before we jump to another mode, let me just say one thing for uh, that I kind of left out. Uh, we are going into uh, that May 4th week of international road checks. I would advise anybody if they've got any flexibility around shipping in that week, just plan for it because uh, it always causes some disruption. It'll be amplified this year with all the capacity demands. So just want to get a plug in there for that week of uh, May 4th. Definitely great information. Thank you, James. Jacob, maybe you can weigh in from the LTL on when we might see some rate relief in that space. Yeah, I mean, I'm sort of aligned with James here. Um, it, it's going to be later in the year where we see some of this rate pressure decrease. That's my hope. Um, so late in the year, early um, 2022, you know, all the LTL carriers are heavily investing in, um, you know, equipment, trailers, um, expanding their docks. They're doing what they can to try to increase um, their capacity and ability to uh, meet the service levels we all demand from them. Um, you know, we, we haven't talked really too much today about driver shortage, but I mean, that's still a thing. All the LTL carriers are heavily recruiting. You know, a lot of those LTL driver jobs are are a little more attractive since most carriers have their network set up to where those drivers can be at home each night. Um, so, you know, there's there's lots going on, you know, a lot of positives that the LTL carriers are doing to try to help out with everything. So as those start to pay dividends, capacity gets under control. Um, that's when we'll start to see the rate pressure decrease. And I think we'd also like to try to get some input from Todd Binge, our parcel expert. And Todd, I'll also throw in there another question. You know, do we expect to see peak season get started earlier this year as we did last year? That's a very good question. So, talking about rate relief, uh, 
I'm in the same boat with the other modes. We do not see uh, much relief occurring definitely in 2021. What we do anticipate is that when COVID, or I should say when the North America starts to open up, what we would see in the domestic U.S. is that the COVID surcharge not necessarily goes away, but what it does is to you the point or the question that was asked about an early peak season that the, rolls into an October peak season surcharge. So it's, yes, they sunsetted the COVID charge, but now we're in the peak season. So I don't see us being addressed on the surcharges and fees disappearing until um, first quarter of 2022 is what uh, I'm looking at. Along with that, the thing that I'm seeing, I'm going to uh, say that I'm, I'm going to project is that with this push into the peak season coming earlier and the crunch on capacity and then more of it being pushed to the customer, the shipper, saying that uh, more responsibility falls on them to make sure they start their sales early, they start their processes early of the world of, of, of the peak season, Christmas season, holiday season is, is going to take place. And with that, um, more surcharges and fees going into package definition. So they rolled out a new one, both FedEx and UPS, and going into 2022, and that's the 105-inch rule, length, width, and height. You know, basically, it's going to be the uh, length with girth is 105 inches. You now take an additional handling surcharge. And we're going to see more and more of that where it's going after and trying to come down to what you would call standard size or some more standardization in the packaging. Because you have to look at FedEx is heavily automated in their facilities. UPS has had a strong push to get to automation. And the thing about automation does, it has a higher restriction on what can get on the belt because of all the automation. And what you see in the days gone by of building that was classified at 45,000 packages an hour during peak season, you could just overstaff it and run more packages through a small sort. And then therefore you could achieve 60,000 packages an hour through peak season. You've actually overproduced through that building's capability. Under automation, you can't do that. It is, if it's a 45K building, it's 45K. So you're going to see more of those kind of surcharges and fees and they're going to be with us for a long period of time. But I do see the COVID disappearing once we're back to what we would call new normal. Uh, and But I don't see that occurring probably until 2022. So COVID just flips into peak season surgery. Great information again from Todd Binge. Got just enough time for one question more. I'll throw this one to Jared Wilson, uh, our international expert and vice president of client services. And Jared, we talked about the congestion at the East Coast ports. Do you have any insight into what areas of the East might be affected by that congestion? And when do you think that timing might be and might see some relief there as well? Yeah, so specific to the East Coast ports, um, you know, it, it, it's being seen across the board. I mentioned Savannah as an example, but also being seen in the Northeast. In terms of any impact from the Suez Canal, um, you know, that would really be, be seen you know, starting now, right? And you have a mix, you have some vessels that, that were stalled um, that would have later arrivals into the port. You had some vessels that were rerouted around the southern tip of Africa, um, which would be more of the immediate term impact. Uh, and that would be expected to continue for for a few weeks before at least that aspect 
um, would normalize on things that are impacting port congestion. Thank you, Jared. And as we approach the conclusion of our time together, remind everybody any questions we haven't gotten to today, we'll be happy to respond to them directly via email and also be on the lookout for a short four question survey. We're seeking your feedback. We'd really appreciate your input as we try to continue our efforts to get better with these publications. So we're going to conclude today's Transportation Insight Digital Master Series. To our panel of experts, thank you for joining us and special thanks as well to our moderator today, Erin Christou. And thank you to our audience for joining us. We appreciate the opportunity to share our insight and hope you were able to take something away from our discussion and benefit your supply chain for sure. For more information or to reach out to our supply chain masters, use the contact information you see now on the screen. You can also visit us online at transportationinsight.com. That's where you access more information about our transportation management solutions, get our blogs and access our resource guides. You can also download our second quarter industry forecast. It details some of the topics today and offers you additional resources to support your transportation management in the remainder of the year. On behalf of our panelists and Transportation Insight, thank you for joining our broadcast. May you master the remainder of your day.